Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichette. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, July 26th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for almost 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives as they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I can then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. 
We appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And that's far easier to do when people let us know how this stuff is landing for them. Susan Bingham did that yesterday. She, in the second hour with Dr. Rice, she gave a 38-second testimonial, which has now been edited out by me, so I can send it to people as an email attachment, and I can put it on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And if you have a testimonial like that, if your life has been improved through the actual use of these tools, it would be wonderful to hear from you about that. You can call live at 563-999-3581 and or you can send me an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If we get an email from you, we will address your comment or question in the internet show and then as time allows send you a notification about what day and time that was addressed on the show so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback so what's on your mind today how is this work helping you we had our support group last night and we listened to some Michael Singer conversations that he has promoted as um, basically explanation, deep dive explanation of his book, uh, The Untethered Soul. And um, there's, I think, 12 or 13 hours of his conversations about it, taking a deep dive, and that was part of what we were doing last night in the support group, that and discussion, and boy did it spark some people to to get very triggered and have some very strong conversations about what they assumed was being said, and again, it was very useful, as it always is, for us to begin to understand that most of the time, we are not hearing what someone else is saying. Most of the time, we are creating our own meaning, our own words, our own uh, definitely our own response patterns for what we think we're hearing. And again, last night, that was just a very powerful example for the support group that we we tend to think we know what we're hearing and we know what we heard and we know what the person means when they say this or that. And in truth, most of the time, it's not the case. Most of the time, we are making up our own meanings for what we hear and... And what we've been 
suggesting as an ongoing practice for people is that each and every one of us learn to get more and more actively tuned into the earliest warning signs of any tension or upset within our mind-body energy system. And as that happens, at the earliest warning sign that I'm getting tense or angry or upset, especially if I'm just listening to someone talk, the very best use of my mind energy in that moment is to take a time out, take a nice calming deep breath, hold it at the top, slowly exhale down and turn the focus of my awareness inside myself and ask myself, how am I creating this tension or this negative emotion? Alternatively, a really good question is, what am I making this situation mean? And it, well, one of the, the the bigger chuckles I had last night in the group was that we listened to almost uh, 40, 45 minutes of Michael Singer talking. And in the first five or ten minutes, maybe 15 at the most, one of our group members interrupted and was so triggered, and we spent five or 10 or 15 minutes talking about how triggered this person was. And then we went back to listen to finish out about 40 minutes of listening to Michael Singer. And then people were chiming in all over the place about blah, blah, blah. He said this and that. It, it's all garbage. It doesn't mean anything. I don't like what he's saying. It isn't like what we teach. It isn't what Michael Rice teaches, etc. And... Um, and then I, I gave a, a short summary of what I heard him saying. And one person said, well, that's, that's absolutely right. I agree with you 100%. I didn't hear him say any of that. <laughs> but it was just my words rephrasing what I think Michael Singer was saying. So it's a very good lesson for all of us about how whatever we think we hear is not the absolute truth of it and we can know when our stuff has been uh, stirred up from the past when our past traumas when our upsets when our negative thoughts and beliefs are active because we have become tense or angry or upset or offended in some way we are the ones creating that it is not being created by the things someone else is saying. We are never offended by what someone else says. We are only, always, and forever offended by what we believe it means when someone, when we think we hear someone say this or that. So, uh, powerful lessons on a regular basis in this work and Again, uh, when we do it in the support group uh, environment, it is just so much deeper and richer. And I, I think the um, the learning is integrated so much more easily when it's done in the group environment. So I have 
tremendous gratitude for people that choose to join us. Um, we will not have a support group tomorrow when normally we do Tuesdays and Thursdays. There will not be a support group tomorrow as I'm taking the day off, but most Tuesdays and Thursdays and all the information you would need to join us for that is available on the website at mindshiftersacademy.org. And we'd be happy to have you join us and or pass that information along to somebody you think might benefit from learning about it and and learning their ability to join us absolutely free. So So here we are. We are uh, we have 45 minutes left basically to take comments and questions. And if no one raises a hand, I will move back into uh, here's someone with a hand up. Area code seven six zero. You're in the air. Hi. Good af- Good afternoon. This is Anne. Um, Hello, Anne. So it so it occurred to me you're right on and so like yeah how we perceive things what somebody else is saying so. What came to me because I just had a conversation with someone the other day. Um, and then I thought, you know, I need to ask more about that because my interpretation was one thing. I wonder if that's how they really meant it. So the two questions, and, and you might have more that we could use, is I would think, um, what about, what do you mean by that? Or would you explain that a little further? Like if I were to feel like, this is the way I'm hearing it, but I'm not sure, right? So, I mean, are those, they don't sound like offensive questions. Would that be something like, like that you would ask? If... Well, I would probably ask them in the same order you did, right? I, I wouldn't say, here's what I think you're saying. If right, I if right. I wasn't clear, or if if somewhere within within me I generated some kind of a sense of offense or negative emotion, the first thing I would do is turn inside myself. I wouldn't be asking the other person what they meant. I would be reaching inside myself and trying to ask the question: How am I generating this negative emotion? And or the question: What am I making this situation mean? Uh, then yeah. after I dismantle some of that upset within me, I might ask the other person for them to clarify what do they mean when they use this word or that word. I just did an interview with a woman, and um, she said something about, you know, we like to give them these functional exercises. And I said, okay, so can you help me understand what you mean when you say functional exercises? Uh, And so I, I just... I just asked her to clarify that that specific word, and that led to more and more clarification. If they if they give me a clarification, then I might say, "Okay, well, here's what I was making it mean," and and so now we can, depending upon the. Uh, 
the comfort level I have on exploring my deeper emotions with a certain person, I may or may not go to that level. Right. right I just right. might say, okay, well, thanks for letting me know that. Um, I'll think on it. And, and if they want an answer from me about something, I usually don't give them an answer when I'm triggered. I've learned uh, over the yeah. years that, that that, you know, well, I, I need to know. Okay, well, I'll get back to you when I can. Well, what do you mean? I want to know the answer now. I said, I just, I'm, I'm not ready to discuss it. And I don't, you know, for the most part, I don't get baited into talking mm. about things <laughs> from my triggered perspective the way I used to. Right. You've had more practice. <laughs> Because I think that's a great example, um, and especially when I'm with family, right? And, and to be like you just—I like that word—be baited into still trying to, you know, they still want an answer from you, and and so me learning to say, well, I'll think about it more and get back to you. And it—it it, it sounds so simple, but at the time. So, yeah, I like that. Well, and there's a tremendous uh, momentum for most of us in our family systems for, you know, giving people what they want or being feeling like we're being pressured into something. And so it does take yeah. a while of practice to break that, that old pattern. Yes, yeah. Well, and the person that I was speaking with a couple of days ago, and then I... um was someone I'm feeling more comfortable with. He's a church member and he's a trombonist, and we were talking music. And and it's like, okay, um, I think, you know, I would be comfortable. So so when you were talking about this, um, could you, you know, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Now, I could do that with that person, but, yeah, to do it with a family member, it's like, <laughs> okay. This takes practice, yeah, like Michael said. Well, and, and you might practice. want to ask yourself, what are you making it mean that, you're, that it would be so much harder with a family member? What are you making it mean? Uh-huh. Why isn't it just like any other person? Right. right, right. And, and all of that uh-huh. will be contained inside you. Yes, yes. So if you're willing to ask that question and do the writing about it or do the worksheets on it, you'll get answers. Mm. Oh, there's another wake-up sheet. (laughs) Yeah, I was generally... Because uh, what what is the thought in you that your family members are anything other than another person? Right. I know, because really, in the scheme of things, they are not. Ah. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I can. Yeah. I can already start to identify. Yeah. There's some fears in there, because I got past some fears. That is it. I think you nailed it. Because I got past some fears yesterday, and I had a download, um, and I shared with this person, and I had to come against my fears about, well, what would they say? You know, I don't know them very well, and yet. When I finally got to it, the response was phenomenal. It was appreciated, and they had had 
uh, a bad day, quote unquote, that they had said. And it was just like, it was supposed to be, you know, I was supposed to deliver that. And it's like, okay, it just takes a lot of practice because in the past that those things hadn't been received well, or, well, the other people perceived them differently. Um, So now, yeah, so now I need to explore why, yeah, why is it different? Why am I more comfortable with somebody who I don't even know that well? Ah, okay. Right, a few more wake-up sheets here. (laughs) Thank you, as usual. (laughs) Great feedback. Appreciate it. Well, you're you're very welcome and deserving. I'm glad it was useful. Um, Yeah. You know, the, the, the core of what started the conversation is this recognition that when I think I'm listening to what someone else says, my mind is producing at least 80% of that. Right? Mm. If, you, if, if, if you look at the, the videos by Neil Seth and some of these other people that mm. study perception, and, and they look at how much of the information coming in through the eyes and the ears is is going into the pictures our mind is showing us in any given moment. It's a tiny mm-hmm. fraction. And most of what we're using to create our perception, our picture of the world, is our history, is our past traumas, is our beliefs. Yes. And so mm-hmm. only about 20% of it is coming from the stimulation of our sense organs and our pers- and our pers- and so, so-called perception of the external world and i say so called there because the the scientists tell us that my perception does not record reality or actuality my perception constructs my reality and it is often radically different from the actuality and or from the realities, the separate perceptions that other people in that same environment are constructing for themselves. Yes, yes. <clears throat> I mean, this is just... And that's too... It's just, basic, it's just basic science. I'm not mm-hmm. looking out my eyeballs at the world. I am creating a picture based on a tiny, tiny bit of information hitting my senses and a tiny fraction of that that I'm able to be aware of in the moment. So how can I tell if I'm on track or not? If I'm upset, I'm off off the track. I'm off the mark. If I'm feeling calm and centered and loving and compassionate, I'm probably closer to what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And if I just use that system for my feedback, I can move forward in my life by leaps and bounds. Yes. And then people say, well, then what do I do? Well, the most important thing for me to do is when I recognize that I'm in any kind of a mental, emotional tension Mm -hmm. or upset, the most important thing for me to do is stop thinking, stop speaking, stop acting until after I've dismantled that upset. When I do, my vision clears, 
and expands. So Michael Rice would say 360-degree vision. And, and now whatever input that I'm using to form my picture is far more likely to help me create an accurate picture, something far closer to, you know, objective. And then I'll make better decisions. I'll be happier with the results of the decisions I make. And then how much have you come across, because this is what happened um, yesterday while I, after I sent this text, and then today I got a call back because you said texting wasn't enough, that, that how he appreciated what I had said, what I texted. And I was looking... Are you there? Oh, that I... And, um, which said these things. And you you went blank. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Did I? Did you okay. Back up I a still there? Or two? Yes. Okay. Just back um, up a sentence or two. You texted. So I was wondering they, about my. Go ahead. Where did I leave off? <laughs> you said that you texted something, and then there was a phone call to help clarify it, or vice versa. Oh, yeah. Right, right. He appreciated so um, what I had said. And so last night I was looking at after I had sent it, well, what, what in me, where did I come up with the perception of, you know, mentioning things about his, how proud he was of his daughter because it was some artwork and stuff. And I realized that, and then I felt good about someone telling me that they appreciated what I what I had um, sent, what I had texted, what I had said. Anyway, so we had the conversation this morning. and But last night I got, and I think those, a couple of wake-up sheets out of that. So sometimes even when we're, we have positive emotions, it will show us um, some more work that we have to do because what happened was I didn't have a dad who um, was there for me and my daughter and son, their dad kind of disowned them later after our divorce um, and things happened and they he wasn't there for them. And it's like, but this person was for his daughter because he's not doing well um, physically, mentally, I don't know, whatever. I didn't ask those questions. but So it's like, okay, so I need to do work on is there still something in me that didn't get that? And I was just feeling, I guess I was feeling appreciated that his daughter is getting it or something like that. I don't know. Um, so, I mean, so I guess that's my question. We can still get triggered even from positive comments, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I on a regular basis I run into parents who did not have such good parents. Their parents were not able to be loving and and kind and supportive and emotionally supportive. And then they end up in therapy for whatever reason. They have this natural drive to be better. And they end up in therapy and they start learning these tools. And they are acting so much more lovingly and respectfully to their children. Mm -hmm. And one part of them says, this is great. And another part of them is jealous that they didn't get the kind of parenting that they are now giving that they are now giving to their own child. 
and they they you know if if you don't have a way to comprehend that you start thinking you're going nuts. Yeah. It seems <laughs> insane. But it you know this is like the idea of the parts work, the internal family systems work. I can have more than one view of the world. I can have more than one position from which I look at and evaluate things. I can have more than one part in me active in any moment. And if I learn to respect each of those parts and and comfort okay. them and work with them, my life goes better. If I have a a part of me that's angry that there's a part that feels weak, and I hate that part of myself, then I get stuck in an internal war for which there is no winner. No matter who wins, I lose because every one of them is a part of me. Mm. Mm. And the only way for me to win is just to restore compassion to, from, and for all parts towards every other part. Mm-hmm. That compassion word comes up a lot when I'm, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Sounds good. I feel complete. Thank you. <laughs> all right. All right. You're welcome. I'll mute you so you can listen for the rest of the show. And we've got about 30 minutes left, so there's plenty of time for an additional comment or a question from somebody. 563-999-3581. There are seven or eight people on the call, no one in the chat room. I um, I don't know if people are aware of this or not, but... Um, I occasionally get people asking, How's, what's the easiest way to uh, to access this the archives? And you can go to Michael Reyes' website, or you can, uh, which is whyagain.org, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. Or you can go to iHeartRadio. And if you tap into the iHeartRadio either on your laptop, desktop, or on an app for your phone, uh, Michael says they have all of the archives. Some of the platforms that might do podcasts will only have uh, some of those archive files, but um, iHeartRadio is a fairly reliable way to access the archives. And um, so... That's just a little piece of technical support. And uh, we have 12 and a half years worth of archive shows. And there are some files that have been singled out as particularly useful from the overall archives. And those are available at the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And there's a best of audio files page, and there's an audio files page, and there's the uh, way of mastery with commentary, and the way of mastery without commentary. So there's all kinds of good resources to help people get access to these tools. And if you want to use these tools and you want motivation for it, 
Uh, there's a testimonial from Susan Bingham from yesterday, just 38 seconds worth of, I don't have anxiety the way I did all my life until I found these tools. And um, there are some wonderful testimonials like that available on the whyagain.org website. And um, and I think it's just a delight to be able to share those testimonials with people. So if you have one of those, let us know. Um, every once in a while, people are moved to share. I keep running into people who've never heard about this work and who think it's got to be too good to be true and or if it's so good why aren't you charging money for it um, I remember that I, I know that Michael was just talking about this yesterday when he first wrote his book uh, James Redfield who's the author of the Celestine Prophecy hooked Michael up with his publisher and they wanted to published Michael's book and Michael got the guidance not to do that because if he did it would just be a one-time spike of popularity and then it would get flattened either because it wasn't the right time or because somebody might actually try to subvert the material or its popularity and so Michael decided to just maintain his self-publishing work and um the insight he got was that when this works its way into the grassroots around the globe, there'll be no way to squash it. And so it'll be far more successful eventually than it would be if it became an internationally known bestseller and sold you know, a million copies or whatever and then just fizzled out. So here's hoping that that's exactly what's going to happen, that eventually people will start to find these archives, these files, these free downloads, these free worksheets for download and use, the free app on your app store. If you type in the three words, Heartland, Aramaic, Forgiveness, and eventually uh, more and more people will start using it and more and more people will get the kind of benefits that Susan Bingham was talking about yesterday and the world will be transformed, one heart, one mind at a time. Some would say that's our purpose for being here, to help make the world a better place. In the book, uh, A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg, there's a third part. We've read, we've read all the essays at least once now, some of them several times. And part three is about questions and answers. And... The introduction here says, what follows is a series of informal responses to a variety of spiritual questions. Many of the questions are appearing here exactly as they were originally asked by fellow seekers. We have worked to organize the responses by topic. And he says, I would like to reiterate the following two disclaimers. Disclaimer number one, words cannot possibly speak successfully to the nature of many of these questions. 
right? So most of the really good questions that people come up with cannot be answered at that time. And if they would, if there were words for it, the words would not register appropriate meaning within the mind of the person who asked the questions. The second disclaimer is, I am a fool. This is Christian Sundberg writing, but you can use me as saying the same words. I don't know. This is one of the things that the way of mastery taught me so deeply over the years that I worked with that that book, that set of teachings. I don't know what anything is or is for. I don't know what any of my brothers and sisters need. There's even an exercise where it asks me to pick up objects throughout the day and look at it and understand, I don't know where this came from. I don't know where the materials were mined or created that make up this clock or this mug. I don't know who was the first person to have an idea of a timepiece. I don't know any of that. So here he says his second disclaimer is, I am a fool. And I certainly do not claim to have all the answers. I may not have any good answers except for what's working for me in the moment. That's, that's a sidebar from me. He says, I am a fool and I certainly do not claim to have all the answers. Far from it. I am a flawed and largely ignorant student of life. I'm also learning and changing my understanding every day as all of us are. Still, fools can help fools, and so I present this content just for your consideration in the hopes that it may be of assistance to someone. So please understand that. When we read a question and then a response, there's no supposition on our part that we're giving you any deep truth. It's concepts that we're playing with, it's observations that we can make in our own life, it's the active application of the tools that have made the biggest difference for me in my life, not what somebody wrote, not what somebody says is the truth. So the first question that's listed here is, what is the purpose of human life? And the answer that's given from Christian and his host of Uh, spirit guides, masters, whatever, is that we come for the purpose of the expansion of love and joy. And we're accomplishing the expansion of love and joy through the integration of experience. We enter the world of form so that we can become something specific and see how we can better express and expand our true, loving, and creative nature in that context and through that context, a context of being in a physical body. It then says, And the context of being human offers a very specialized and unique opportunity, an opportunity to expand our true, loving, and creative nature through the context of being in a physical body. The next question is, 
why was our universe created? And the answer comes back. One way to think about why our universe was created is that it was created to facilitate the expansion of existence, beingness, consciousness, and to facilitate the expansion of consciousness through creation for the purpose of facilitating the expansion of joy and love. The answer goes on and says, sojourns into duality, in other words, into form, into the presence of physical matter. This process enables the individual and the collective consciousness to expand incredibly. To put it another way, the fundamental truth of capital L love is even more deeply known and can be even more powerfully actualized when we actually engage ourselves into these challenging constraint sets. A challenging constraint set is I moved from being pure consciousness without a body into the restrictions of having a body, into the forgetfulness of my true nature into the seeming separation of consciousness contained within one mind-body unit. So this answer goes on and says, the bigger vibrational distance, in other words, when we seem to be separated from our source because we're no longer a part of the cosmic consciousness without a body. Now we seem to be separated into a physical body as separate from everyone and everything. The bigger the vibrational distance we create in our perception from our source that we can go and integrate, the more expansion can occur and the more that can be added to the eternal joy. The physical universe is an environment that was created to fulfill the purpose of expanding joy, expanding creation. The next question is, if we are spirit and our earthly lives are just some kind of game or play, then does that mean that our earthly lives don't matter? The response comes back, no. Our earthly experiences and relationships are extremely valuable indeed. Just because the ultimate reality transcends the earthly experience, it does not make the earthly experience unimportant. In fact, everything we do here is very important. This reminds me of one of the essays we read recently about how from the very limited perspective, from the very limited perspective that we have as we take in these few little inputs of the five senses, it is common that we think, oh, that doesn't make any sense, or that's paradoxical, or that's directly contradictory. And that essay, the previous essay we read, talked about how if we could know all there was to know, there would be no paradox. 
there would be no contradiction. But from our very limited perception, our very limited perspective, we frequently think that doesn't make any sense. That's the opposite of this. This is the opposite of that. That's paradoxical, etc. Well, that same kind of limited perception can easily have people jump to the conclusion that if we're just here to expand our capacity to extend love, almost as though we're playing a video game from the higher consciousness perspective, that, that this doesn't have any meaning. Whereas from a bigger picture perspective, it is the expansion of love and joy in the creative process in every way possible that adds to life itself, that adds to consciousness. So if your mind wants to tell you, oh, well, this means nothing matters and I can't hurt anybody with anything I do, so it doesn't matter what I do, please question that. Think again. Notice whether or not in the process of holding on to that conclusion you're generating joy and compassion or something less expansive, something with more contraction. So the next question becomes, you say that we are here to integrate experience. What does that even mean? The answer is, to integrate an experience is to fully know it, to assimilate it into what one person is, what you are, so that one fully, quote, gets it, close quotes, you get it at the being level, not just the intellectual level. When an experience is fully integrated, it no longer prompts fear. An integrated experience is one in which the individual can comfortably say with familiarity, calm, centeredness, and compassion, oh yeah, I've been there. I've done that. As a single, very simple example, when my father was a child, he used to be afraid of his closet. Every night he would lie in bed, tormented by his own imagined fears about what the closet might contain. Eventually he concluded that whatever was in the closet, it couldn't be worse to experience that than all of this fear that he was generating as he lay in bed. He realized that there was no danger when he got up one night from the bed, pushed his way into the closet with deep determination and terror, and just sat on the floor. Nothing happened. That's how he realized there was no real danger. It had all been imagined. Having gone and done that for himself, he was no longer afraid of closets. Prior to that, it didn't matter how many times people had told him, there's nothing in the closet, see, I'll turn on the light here. You know, however many times the loving parent does that, 
Guy Finley has a story about this exact same thing. The loving parent hears the child cry, runs in the room. What's the matter? Something's under the bed. Something's in the closet, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here I turned on the light. We can look. Do you see anything there? No, et cetera. And time after time, the loving parent does that until eventually the child cries out in the middle of the night and the parent stays in his or her bed. And with compassion, with understanding at a deep level, the parent calls out, turn on the light yourself. When his father got up and sat in the closet himself, he had the experience, and that's the integration. He didn't, he didn't need to be told by anybody else because he's had the lived experience that there was nothing bad happening to him once he faced the situation that he'd been using to generate all the fear. So this, this little question and answer goes on and says, physical reality can be like this. We experience fear as we impose our own negative meaning on our relenting and often painful experience of separation. And then eventually, after we face those fears head on, we dismantle the suffering. Once we do, we can say, oh, I've been there, I've done that, and then we're no longer capable of generating fear from it. The interpretation we place on it no longer generates fear in our mind. The last part of that response says, while fear can be a sign of an unintegrated experience, the integrating experience does not always involve fear. What does that mean? While fear can be a sign of an experience that I haven't yet integrated, that's not the only thing that can be a sign. Learning a skill, becoming familiar with a way of living, or performing a certain role, these are also types of experience that we can do and integrate. Just about every experience we have in the world of form is always contributing towards its integration even if in the very, very long term. Integrating experience is what we do. So it's happening constantly. So this, this reminds me of what I was mentioning earlier. Susan Bingham yesterday in talking to Michael gave a testimonial. Well, it's essentially this integration. No amount of someone telling Susan six years ago, hey, here's a worksheet, do this worksheet and, and you'll dismantle your upset or your anxiety. No amount of that would change her. And yet here she is six years later, and this is what she had to say yesterday with Michael. I do tell him, I said, I had massive anxiety from puberty until about six years ago when I started doing these wake-up sheets. And I, I get mad and I get upset and I 
obsess about things, but there's no comparison. The anxiety has, like, physically walked out of my system. I don't have it at all, ever. Not in the early morning when I used to get it the worst, not during the day. It's beyond relapsability even. I feel sorry in it. So while she can still get triggered to anger and upset, you know, this is not a perfect situation. Not like her life is completely transformed and nothing ever bothers her. And yet this very specific problem, pattern, energy experience of terror and anxiety, this physical, visceral anxiety and panic is gone from her, washed out of her body. She doesn't experience it anymore. And the way she got there was she integrated use of this tool. She integrated a process whereby she could face the things that she was finding fearful. She was willing to keep doing the process of turning inside rather than blaming outside experiences or her interpretation of outside experiences for what she was experiencing. So there's a powerful example of integration to my eye and ear. So we've got about six minutes left. Call in number is 563-999-3581. How is the volume on that recording? Does that need to be tweaked? to a higher volume? Were you able to hear Susan's testimonial from yesterday? Let us know. What's this stirring up for you? 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1. I have begun reading the third part of this book, which is Christian Sundberg's book, A Walk in the Physical. And the next question in this third part is, is God real? And the answer that's given is, yes, God, source, whatever you want to call it, is real. And in fact, is the most real of all things. However, God, source, is not like a man. Rather, God is the conscious living source of all being, the living, sentient foundation of love upon which and through which all reality and all experience is built. A bunch of words, right? As soon as I read that, I think about Pierre Pradervan's story of Imam Saul, S-A-L, who said to him when Pierre tried to trick him into giving him a definition for God, Imam Saul said, Pierre, if you took all the water in all the oceans and all the lakes and all the rivers and all the streams as ink, and you took all the, the branches of all the leaves on all the trees as pens, and you wrote for an eternity you would never exhaust all of the names for God. 314, is this Doug? Yes, it is. 
let me let me switch to the direct phone. I think that'll help. Maybe. Um, well, I don't know. Can you hear me okay or not? Yes, I can hear you fine. Okay, so so that last thing that you read about the definition of God and the question of is God real, I liked it, and it it brings forward. I know we only have a minute, but a question for me, which is something that I'm struggling with, which is I've moved across the course of my life from believing that God was a being, one person, to believing that God is as just defined. And what I've done is I've decided, well, it's both. I mean, it's ultimately as defined there, but there are other beings like Jesus and presumably some other being that's a hierarchy to him that exists. The reason this is a problem for me is as I interact in the world and as I go to churches and if I talk to people who are ardent believers in the Christian faith and who just basically worship Jesus, I don't know how to feel like I'm integrated with them. I don't know how to feel about all of this in a way. So so in the last few seconds, if there's any comment you have that would be helpful, I would be interested. It just triggered a desire to call. Okay. Well, uh, the the first thing that my mind wants to say is they're not worshiping Jesus. They're worshiping their thoughts about Jesus. Right? So, and, <laughs> what and, a trip. Okay. Well, I mean, that's what we all do. I and mean, we're all just dealing with our own thoughts. And that was the big part of, you know, earlier parts of this conversation is that we're we're creating our own perception from a tiny fraction of what the information is that hits our senses and so most of it is what's been trained into us and most of it is our trauma energies and our beliefs and so you know it's we think we're this is the whole story about the support group last night that you know we were listening to Michael Singer and several people got triggered to upset and other people were thinking isn't this great and you know what what better example can you have that we're not sharing an experience we're each creating our own experience and then trying to talk about it you know and then we're trying to talk about it with each other with words that have very different meanings for each of us so it's a very complex process that that you know it would be a good thing for us to honor the complexity of that process. And the other thing that comes to me to say is that a number of years ago I went to a a very um, conservative Anglican church, and and they were, you know, it was a friend of mine who attended the church, and they had all of this, you know, beating of the breast, and we're not worthy, and it was all through the time of Lent or whatever – and and I left there, and I just felt this discomfort in my abdomen, like I was going to be sick to my stomach. It just felt so agitated. And I thought, oh, I was so familiar with Michael and his work and his worksheets that I decided to do some worksheets on it and, uh, and get somebody to do some NET. Because I realized I'm the one creating all of this discomfort. And I thought, how silly that I could be attending this church with all of these people who, of all the places they could be on a Sunday, they've chosen to spend their time talking about 
and trying to become better people. What would it take for me to be a better person, more loving, a better neighbor, etc.? How could I be in that environment and generate such mental, emotional discomfort? And so I did the worksheets on it and the tapping and breathing about it until the next time I went to that church, it was just a breeze. It was I was sitting there in comfort reminding myself, look at these are loving people who are spending their time trying to decide how to be more loving. They, they donate their time and their money to help needy people in their community. They have, you know, fundraisers and potlucks, and they donate the money to people. How could I be in that environment and generate negative thoughts and beliefs? And I dismantled it with the worksheet process. So that's what came to mind. I don't know how relevant it is specifically to what you were asking, but... I think it's relevant because I can immediately see, okay, so yes, I have issues around that. You know, I want to be able to go there, go places like that, enjoy those people, feel connected to them. Um, and the idea that people are worshiping the ideas they have about God is very helpful to me. It applies to me. It applies to them. And it just it just allows me more connection there, a sense of that. And I can see that, okay, I've got issues. You know, I want to be integrated. I want to be able to talk freely, and, and I worry that I won't be accepted, and, you know, all of that. And it just – worksheet might be uh, the next best, best step for me around that. So that's helpful. Thank you. All right. Well, you're very welcome and deserving. I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. Appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. And welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Shifters Radio. And today is Wednesday, July the 26th, 2023. And our call-in number is 569-99-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in. And uh, I'll just invite you to go to the website and keep an eye on... um, Sorry, I was um, multitasking here. (laughs) Not so good at that. Uh, Anyway, on the website, you can go to uh, schedule and uh, keep an eye underneath uh, Heartland. There may be a work week happening very shortly there, and let us know if you're interested in helping uh, to participate in that. Uh, main project will be getting a roof on eternal support. And uh, we have uh, posted out the uh, global book club recordings for the YGN book and also for the Course in Miracles. Both of those you can find under schedule. That's probably the easiest place. And let me know if you run into anything. We've had uh, a lot of people joining into the uh, self-study intensive and also uh, participating in the breath workshop. That seems to be growing. And so we invite you, if you're interested in any of those, the information is under schedule, and you can contact Michael or myself to get registered for either one of those. And I believe that... um, there are a couple hands up. I'm not sure who all uh, Dr. Tim got to. Let's see. The 
I see Magda's hand up, so I'm going to turn on her microphone. We're still waiting on Michael to get dialed in, but how are you doing today, young lady? Doing fine. Um, I just had a comment about uh, um, Dr. Uh, Tim had asked. He played Susan's... Um, um, oh, yeah, the clip from the other day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And he wanted to know if it was too loud, too soft, too quiet. It was a little bit on the quiet side, so it would be better if it would be the volume could be turned up just a mite. Okay, I will pass that on to him. Super. Okay. So, other than that, everything is well, good, happy, and good. moving along here. How about you? We're doing good. We're doing good. The gardens are doing great, and uh, gotten a little bit warm the last few days, but um, the gardens are especially the tomatoes, but we we also have some peppers. And I've never done okra before. Um, my parents grew at one time, and I let it get too big. So um, I did cut some okra the other day, and we haven't fixed that yet. But we've got peppers coming on, about three different uh, colors. We've got the, the orange and the red and the mm. blonde, which I had never seen before. And then we have mm-hmm. the banana peppers. And they're all coming on. Their basil's doing great. All the other herbs are doing great, too. I said our utility room has this wonderful smell because I've got hanging upside down lemon balm, catnip, oregano, uh, chives, dill. I mean, all of these spices are, you know, I I band them by the stalk and hang them upside down and let them dry, and then I put them in containers. So you walk into the utility room and it's like, (laughs) ah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I remember walking into the kitchen over at the Heart Center and just smelling the fresh, really green, raw, and everything else food. It, it just was such a wonderful exposure. And so I'm imagining how your herbs and your spices are smelling. Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. And tasting. So I'm going to move on and uh, listen, Okay. All right, young lady, appreciate you. Oh, you too, both of you. Bye-bye. And I know that Dr. Tim was talking to Doug. I'm not sure if he talked to this other hand. I believe it might be Ann, 760. You're on the air. Well, let's say hello to Ann anyway. How do you be, young lady? Well, yeah, good. Yes, I did talk to Dr. Tim and he responded quite well as usual as you guys do so yes i'm getting ready to leave but um thank you for checking though because sometimes it is left over all right sounds good the garden right. sounds great awesome. anyway blessings blessings all righty bye-bye but i have no idea why alexa decided that she was going to uh play on her own but <laughs> sorry about yelling that. at your ear <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's got all the hands that are up. Do you have something you want to go to first before we go back to reading? No, let's go ahead and uh, get get closer to finishing uh, the reading of Michael Singer's book. Okay, this is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, and we are on Chapter 17. And uh, this one's a little bit... Uh, um, I'm sure you'll have comments. <laughs> it's called Contemplating Death. And it says, ah, yes, that'll be a that'll be a good one to uh, to take a look at, seeing as how uh, 
all death is fakery, but let's go for it. All right. It is truly a great cosmic paradox that one of the best teachers in all of life turns out to be death. No person or situation could ever teach you as much as death has to teach you. While someone could tell you that you're not your body, death shows you. And while someone could remind you of the insignificance of the things that you cling to, takes them all away in a second. While people can teach you that men and women of all races are equal and that there is no difference between the rich and the poor, death instantly makes us all the same. The question is, are you going to wait until that last moment to let death be your teacher? The mere possibility of death has the power to teach us at any moment. A wise person realizes that at any moment they may breathe out and the breath may not come back in. It could happen er, any time. Breaker, okay, breaker. Yeah, before we go <laughs> forward with this. Uh, it's clear that Michael is totally bought into this idea of death, and uh, certainly it's a convincing one on a global scale. We don't have too many examples of people who who did something other than death. But before we get into those kinds of suggestions, and one of the things that happens in a lot of teachings, a lot of books, is a lot of really decrepit suggestion. And when you realize, you know, foundation, go to the opening words in the book of John, and it does not say in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. It says in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. If anything is going to kill your flesh, it is only one thing, and that is mind energy. People say, no, 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 I know a guy who got run down by a Mack truck. Yes, and it was his mind energy that killed him. The Mack truck was the vehicle, pun intended. But I guarantee if his mind energy hadn't been in the place where death was acceptable, he wouldn't have been standing on the road in front of the truck. His intuition, his higher faculties would have kicked in and said, there's a Mack truck coming down the road. Step aside. I need to step aside. So let, let's, let's lay a foundation for a different thought. And I know this is certainly not the, uh, the popular thinking of the culture, but I'll just introduce it as a possibility and say, well, you know, if I'm right about this, not believing it will kill you. If I'm in error about this, it won't harm you, won't do, you know, it'll just be, oh, well, I, I bought something that was foolish. So if you go back to the ancient scriptures, which are texts not on theology, but on physics and physiology and psychology and genetics, you hear a very profound statement made. And what it says is, with man, death began. So what they were telling us was that they understood that we made the process up. And I'd offer that the way we made the process up was by instilling within our energy fields energies that did not belong there. You know, if I go back to my physics training, one of the first things we learned is that energy, by definition, is eternal. It can neither be created nor destroyed. Its form can be changed by introducing a different resonant energy into a particular form that changes the expression of that particular form, oftentimes called death. So if we and then integrate the Aramaic idea of sin here. Sin is an archery term. 
It's got nothing to do with the Greek malarkey around guilt and fear and all of that stuff, and you're bad and you're evil and Satan's... It's got nothing to do with all that garbage we've been fed by Greek mythology and Greek philosophers. If Yeshua sat in most circles where they're getting that kind of programming today, he'd say, that's all Greek to me. He did not think, he did not speak, he did not express Greek ideas or in Greek. He thought, he taught, and expressed the mind energy of Aramaic understanding. So the word sin in Aramaic is an archery term. If you were on the archery range and you fired at the target and you missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell, sin. You're off the mark. That's all the word means. Now, when you look at those ancient teachings, they were talking about physiology, not theology, when they said the wages of sin is death. I can remember being a kid and being told that and thinking, oh, God's going to get me for my sins. That was the kind of garbage theology that I was fed. And it's a lie. It's a fraud. But if we buy it, then we buy into the mind energy that will kill us. And my invitation is, if that makes any sense to you at all, that you make a commitment, that you stand in a space of willingness, and I'll join you in it. It's a space that I've been in for years, and that is that I'm willing to face every piece of mind energy that has ever killed anybody in my bloodline. I'm willing, no matter how traumatic, no matter how painful, no matter how horrific it is, I'm willing to have the, create the space to allow all of that to come up out of my genes, into my awareness, to be processed out and forgiven, removed from my structure. So if they understood what they were saying, the wages of sin is death, what they were saying is if you put enough energy that's off the mark into a particular piece of tissue, that tissue will be degraded, and the ultimate end of its degradation is death. But it's not necessary to go there. Now, everybody's doing it. You know, <laughs> those ancient teachings say, there will come a time when the whole world will be fooled. And yeah, the whole world has been fooled, virtually Everyone's bought this errant theology that death is inevitable and irreversible. Well, if those ancient teachings are right, and with man death began, it's certainly reasonable and sensible and logical. And then if you listen to the purpose of the man Yeshua, he told you why he came. He didn't come to give you dogma or doctrine. He said, very simply, simple, straight, I come to bring you life, life more abundantly. Now I hear that as, I come to support you, forgiving everything in you that could possibly cause death. And maybe, just maybe, if physics is correct, that everything is energy and energy is eternal, maybe we're designed to be eternal. And it's only when we're off the mark and we put energies into our structure. What kind of energy would they be? What energies would those be? definition I know of human life is, is go back to, not words, not ideas, but go back to the experience of holding a newborn, where human life is pure and untouched, at least as close to that as it can possibly be. And Jeannie and I, having asked the question, of tens of tens of thousands of people over the years to describe the essence of a newborn, the 
words that we've gotten 100% of the time are always some variation on the theme of love. Now, I'd offer there's a reason for that. It's because that's the essence of human life. And the best definition of human life I've found is that human life is love flowing through a cell in a human form. If there is no love within the cells of that human form, then we only have a human form. We don't have a human being. Being is love. So what is it that we would need to be removing from the structure? And the tool of removal is forgiveness. What would that be? What would we have to forgive? My offering would be, if you want to heal death, you have to literally forgive the very capacity of your mind, your emotions, or your physiology to engage in anything unlike love. I'd offer that your job description, if you want to be eternal. You know, what were the energetic patterns that killed father, mother, grandfather, great-grandmother, great-grandfather, on and on and on, back through the generations? And recognize that those are energy patterns that came to you genetically, stored within your system. And some people will say, oh, they're, they're genetic predispositions to disease. Well, I'd offer that they are disease energies, and if we buy them, and if we reinforce them, and if we choose to remain unconscious of them, yes, then ultimately over time, the impact of carrying those energies, it will look like time is the energy, and aging is what caused death. About 40 years ago, I went to a medical conference. There was someone from a place called the DeCourcy Clinic in Cincinnati, Ohio. And thinking about research they'd done on aging and death. And the quote was so profoundly impactful to me that I've always remembered it verbatim. And here's what they said. Time is not toxic. Time has no effect on human tissue under any conditions. It is a belief in the effects of time by those who subscribe to such a belief that acts as a poison. Now, if you've bought the age thing, then you're going to have to do some forgiveness work around it. You're going to have to undo it. Well, you know, I'm getting old. People ask, like, I'll often get the question with Arya. You know, she's been circling the earth for next month, it'll be five years. And people will say, how old is Arya? And I'll say, she isn't. And they'll repeat the question. Well, yeah, but how old is she? She isn't. And people just at first just like can't get that. It's like, no, 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 no. Everybody's old. Everybody's got an age. Why, why do we buy that mind energy? Why do we program that whole idea into our structures? You know, Jeannie and I, we heard about a chiropractor here in town that's uh, um, supposed to be really good. So we decided to go visit her this morning and get an adjustment. And they had just got a little paperwork. And they've got a place for age, birth date. And I wrote eternal. Why would anyone buy into the mind energy of I'm X number of years old? Why would you claim that? Except that you've been brainwashed by the culture to engage in it. Why would anyone ask with a child that's been circling the earth for almost five years, just five years, ask how old are they? It's it's 
burned right into our languages, which is burned right into our brains. And if you listen to Yeshua, he says, the power of life and death is in your words. I'm willing to admit that I may be totally and completely wrong and we're all designed to die and we're all going to die and that's the way it is. I'm willing to admit that that might be the truth. But if what I'm saying is correct, you could put an end to death. And to me, that makes for an awesome victory. Another little trap that people engage in, I'll say, well, but we're, we're told that we're eternal. Well, yeah, but you have to die first. It's like, there's nowhere in the book that I've heard that it says you have to die to be eternal. I mean, that's just an oxymoron. That's just silliness. That's just a mind, not even any sort of rational thinking whatsoever. If you're eternal, you're eternal. If you choose to remain eternal in this form, what are you going to have to forgive? What are you going to have to remove from your structure? Another brainwash in the culture is that forgiveness is about how I'm going to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. Which when you think about it, if my physiology is producing pain and I turn to you and I say, I forgive you, pretty silly when you really think about it. Obviously, if my physiology, my mind, my emotions are producing pain, I need to make some changes inside of my physiology, my mind, and my emotions. Focusing on you and telling you that I'm going to let you off the hook and calling that forgiveness is just silliness. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a tool with which you allow your mind or cause your mind to drop into its deepest hidden pain Embrace that pain with love, that energetic pattern with love, and heal it. That's forgiveness. It removes the energetical fences that cause what appear to be due to time, that appear to be aging and death, is my offering. Now, as I say, you know, am I going to make it? I don't know. I'll just say that I'm more vital than I've ever been in my life. You know, my first few decades, I almost died four or five times. I lived on an inhalator and pills, and life was tough. And I can remember when it used to take four cups of coffee just to get my physiology moving. I haven't touched that drug in years. So the question becomes, what have we bought into? And the Greeks did have one really powerful, correct thought that was right on target. And they said, guard the portals of the mind. That's why I stopped, Jeannie, to plug this in before we go. And I don't know exactly. I haven't read this book. I haven't read this chapter. So I don't know exactly what's going to be said. But if there are suggestions of death being inevitable or required, I'll just invite you, if that crosses your mind, to cancel those thoughts and to speak life into your mind, life into your emotions, life into your physiology, and begin to acquire the habit of speaking to anything that would reek of death. That would mean anything that is any sort of pain, that you speak into it in ownership and responsibility and removal 
forgiveness of those energetic patterns, taking the load off the tissue so that the tissue just gets to regenerate as it needs to. And one of the keys in that whole process is to make sure to breathe. So that would be my offering before you move forward, sweetie, and let's go for it. He says, it could happen anytime in any place and your last breath is gone. You have to learn from this. A wise being completely and totally embraces the reality, the inevitable and the unpredictability of death. It made me think of I took a group right. of young I took a group of young people to a conference one time and the gentleman who was the keynote speaker was um a Jewish man and he said that in their native language that the name of God was not pronounceable, that it was more like like the breath. And then he went on to say, So when you're born, are you alive because you took your first breath or because you first spoke God's name? And if you choose to die, is it because you take your last breath or because you quit speaking God's name? And that just has always stuck with me. That was so powerful because it says that when God created man, he breathed into him the breath of life. So it is actually God's breath that is within us. And every time we breathe, we speak his name. So my thing is, Michael... And you watch how people inhibit their breaths in not wanting to feel and deal with what it is that they're engaging in in their own physiology. And one of the solutions there we call still point breathing. It's a way to utilize the breath to flush out everything that's been held by the holding of the breath and become free of those toxic energies. Go for it, sweetie. So he goes on to say, any time that you're having trouble with something, think of death. Let's say you're the jealous type and you can't stand anyone being close to your mate. Well, think about what will happen when you're no longer here. Is it really all that romantic that your loved one should live alone with no one to care for them? If you can get past your personal issues, you'll find that you want the person you love to be happy and to have a full and beautiful life. Since that is what you want for them, why are you bothering them now for just talking to someone? It shouldn't take death to challenge you to live at your highest level. Why wait until everything is taken from you before you learn to dig down deep inside yourself to reach your highest potential? A wise person affirms, quote, If with one breath all of this can change, then I want to live at the highest level while I'm alive. I'm going to stop bothering pe- the people that I love. I'm going to live life from the deepest part of my being, unquote. This is the consciousness necessary for deep and meaningful relationships. Look at how callous we get with our loved ones. We take it for granted that they're there and that they'll continue to be there for us. But what if they died? What if you died? What if you knew that this evening would be the last evening you would get to see them? Imagine that an angel comes down and tells you, straighten up your affairs. You will not awaken from your sleep tonight. You're coming to me. Then you know that every person you see that day, you'd be seeing for the last time. How would you feel? How would you interact with them? Would you even bother with the little grudges and complaints that you've been carrying around? 
How much love could you give the ones that you love, knowing it would be the last time that you would get to be with them? Think about what it would be like if you lived like that every moment with everyone. Your life would be really different. You should contemplate this. Death is not a morbid thought. Death is the greatest teacher of all of life. Take a moment to look at the things you think you need. Look at how much time and energy you put into various activities. Imagine if you knew you were going to die within a week or a month. How would that change things? How would your priorities change? How would your thoughts change? Think honestly about what you would do with your last week. What a wonderful thought to contemplate. And then ponder this question. If that's really what you would do with your last week, what are you doing with the rest of your time? Wasting it? Throwing it away? Treating it like it's not something precious? What are you doing with life? That is what death asks you. Let's say you're living life without the thoughts of death. And the angel of death comes to you and says, come, it's time to go. And you say, but no, you're supposed to give me a warning so that I can decide what I want to do with my last week. I'm supposed to get one more week. Do you know what death would say to you? He'd say, My God, I gave you 52 weeks this past year alone, and look at all the other weeks I've given you. How would you need one more? What did you do with all of those? If asked that, what are you going to say? How will you answer? I wasn't paying attention. I didn't think it mattered. That's a pretty amazing thing to say about your life. Death is a great teacher, but who lives with that level of awareness? It doesn't matter what age you are. At any time, you could take a breath and there may not be another one. Cancel that thought. It happens all the time to babies, to teenagers, to people in midlife, not just to the ages. One breath and they're gone. No one knows when their time will be. And that's not, and that's not how it works. So why not be bold enough to regularly reflect on how you would live that last week? If you were to ask this question of people who tr- were truly awakened, they wouldn't have any problem answering you. Not a thing would change inside of them. Not a thought would cross their mind. If death were to come in an hour, if death were to come in a week, or if death were to come in a year, they would live exactly the same way as they're living now. There's not a single thing that they carry inside of their hearts that they would rather be doing. In other words, they are living their lives fully and are not making complaints compromises, or playing games with themselves. You have to be willing to look at what it would be like if death was staring you in the face. Then you have to come to peace within yourself so that it doesn't make any difference whether it is or not. There's a story of a great yogi who said that every moment in his life he felt as though a sword were suspended above his head by a spider web. He lived his life with the awareness that he was that close to death You are that close to death. Every time you get in a car, every time you walk across the street, every time you eat something, it could be the last thing you do. Do you realize that what you're doing at any moment is something that someone was doing when they died? He died eating dinner. And let's cancel all of those suggestions. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So that old. That's energy. That's mind energy. Yep two miles from his home. She died in a plane wreck on a trip to New York. He went to bed and never woke up. 
At some point, this is how it happens to somebody. No matter what you're doing, you can be sure somebody died that way. Cancel. You must not be afraid to discuss death. Don't get uptight about it. Instead, let this knowledge help you live every moment of your life fully because every moment matters. That's what matters when somebody knows they only have a week to, uh, left to live. You can be certain that they would tell you that the most important week that they ever had was that last week. Everything is a million times more meaningful in that final week. What if you were to live every week that way? Point you should ask yourself, why aren't you living that way? You are going to die, cancel the thought. You know that, you just don't know when. Every single thing will be taken from you and you will leave behind your possessions, your loved ones, all your hopes and dreams for this life. You'll, they'll be, you'll be taken right out of where you are. You'll no longer be able to fill the roles that you were busy filling and playing. Death changes everything in a flash. That's the reality of the situation. If all of these things can be changed in an instant, then maybe they aren't so real after all. Maybe you better check out who you are. Maybe you should look deeper. The beauty of embracing deep truths is that you don't have to change your life. You can just change how you live your life. It's not what you're doing. It's how much of you is doing it. Let's take a simple example. You've walked outside a thousand times. How many times have you really appreciated it? Imagine a person in a hospital bed who has just been told that they've got a week to live. They look at the doctor and say, can I walk outside? Can I look at the sky just one more time? If it were raining outside, they would want to feel the rain just once more. For them, that would be the most precious thing, but you don't want to feel the rain. You run and cover up. What is, what is it that won't let us just live our lives? What is inside of us that is so afraid that it keeps us from just enjoying life? This part of us is so busy trying to make sure that the next thing goes right that we just can't be here and now and live life. All the while, death is watching your footsteps. Don't you want to live before death comes? You're probably not going to get a warning. Very few people are told when they are going to die. Almost everybody just takes a breath and then doesn't know that they didn't take another one. Start using every day to let go of the scared part of you or the scarred part of you that won't let you live life fully. Since you know you're going to die, be willing to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done. Be willing to be fully present without being afraid of what will happen in the next moment. That's how people live when they face death. You get to do that too because you're facing death every moment. Learn to live as though you are facing death at all times and you'll Become bolder and more open. If you live life fully, you won't have any last wishes. You will have lived them every moment. Only then will you have fully experienced life and release the part of you that's afraid of living. There's no reason to be afraid of life. And the fear will fade once you understand that the only thing there is to get from life is the growth comes from experiencing. Life itself is your career. And your interaction with life is your most meaningful relationship. Everything else you're doing is just focusing on a tiny subset of life in the attempt to give life some meaning. What actually gives life meaning is the willingness to live it. It isn't any particular event. 
It's the will, willingness to experience life's events. What if you knew that the next person you'd see would be the last person you would ever see? You'd be right there soaking it in, experiencing it. It wouldn't matter what they're saying. You'd just be enjoying hearing the words because it would be the last conversation you'd have. What if you brought the kind of aware, that kind of awareness to every conversation? That's what's happened when you're told that death is around the corner. You change. Life doesn't change. The true seeker commits to live like that every moment and lets nothing stop them. Why should anything stop you? You're just going to die anyway. If you challenge yourself to live as though it were your last week, your mind may come up with all kinds of suppressed desires. It may start talking about all the things that you've always wanted to do and you may think you had better go do them. You will soon see that's not the answer. You have to understand that it is your attempt to get special experiences from life that makes you miss the actual experience of life. Life is not something you get. It's something you experience. Life exists with or without you. It has been going on for billions of years. You simply get the honor of seeing a tiny slice of it. If you're busy trying to get something, you will miss the slice that you are actually experiencing. Every one of life's experiences is different, and every experience is worth having. Life is not something to waste. Life is truly precious. Look at, look how precious life becomes when you imagine you only have one week left to live. How precious would life be if there was no such thing as death? You'd waste every second of it because you'd figure you'd always have it. It is scarcity that makes things precious. It is scarcity that makes a simple rock become a rare gem. So death actually gives meaning to life. Death is your friend. Death is your liberator. For God's sake, do not be afraid of death. Try to learn what it's saying to you. The highest way to learn is to take each moment of your life and realize that what matters is to live it fully. If you live each moment completely, you will have a fuller life and you will not have to fear death. Your fear, you fear death because you crave life. You fear death because you think there's something to get that you haven't experienced yet. Many people feel that death will take something away from them. The wise person realizes that death is constantly giving them something. Death is giving meaning to their life. You're the one who throws your life away. You waste every second of it. You get in your car. You drive from here to there. You don't see anything. You're not even there. You're busy thinking about what you're going to do next. You're a month ahead of yourself or even a year. You're not living life. You're living mind. So it is you who throws life away, not death. Death actually helps you get your life back by making you pay attention to the moment. It makes you say, my God, I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose my children. This could be the last time I see them. From now on, I'm going to pay more attention to them and to my spouse and to all my friends and my loved ones. I want to get so much more out of life. If you are living every experience fully, then death doesn't take anything from you. There's nothing to take because you're already fulfilled. That's why the wise being is always ready to die. It doesn't make any difference when death comes because their experience is already whole and complete. 
Suppose you loved music more than anything else. You always wanted to hear your favorite classical composition played by your favorite orchestra. That was the dream of your life. Finally, it happened. You're there, and you're actually hearing it. It completely fills you. The very first note lifts you to where you needed to go. This, this shows you that it only takes a moment to become absorbed in a transcendental peace. You really don't need more time before death. What you need is more depth of experience during the time that you're given. That's the way to live each moment of your life. You let it fill you completely. You let it touch you to the depths of your being. There is no moment that can't do that. Even if something terrible happens, view it as just another experience of life. Death has made you a great promise in which you can find deep peace. The promise is that all things are temporal. They're all just passing through time and space. If you have patience, this too will pass. Oh, my mom used to say that. The wise realize that in the end, life belongs to death. Death is the one who comes in his own time to take life from you. Death is the landlord and you're just the tenant. People say things like he's living on borrowed time or he's got a new lease on life. From whom did he borrow time? From death, of course. Death is the one who comes to claim his property because it has always belonged to him. You should have a healthy relationship with death, and it should not be one of fear. Feel grateful to death for giving you another day, another experience, and for creating the scarcity that makes life so precious. If you do this, your life will no longer be yours to waste. It will be yours to appreciate. Death is an ultimate reality of life. The yogis and saints fully embrace death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Great beings don't mind speaking of death. Yogis have traditionally gone into graveyards and burning gnats uh, to meditate. They sit there to remind themselves of the frailty of the body and the inevitability of death. Buddhists are taught to contemplate the temporal nature of things. It's all temporal. And death says this to you. So instead of getting lost in the normal mental chatter, why not contemplate the temporal nature of life? Why not think about something meaningful? Don't be afraid of death. Let it free you. Let it encourage you to experience life fully. But remember, it's not your life. You should be experiencing the life that's happening to you, not the one you wish was happening. Don't waste a moment of of life trying to make other things happen. Appreciate the moments you were given. Don't you understand that every moment you're a step closer to death, this is how to live your life. You live it as though you were on the verge of death because you are. I'm going to throw a thought in there, sweetie. Yes. And it, it um, my, my offering at this point would be that what I'm hearing him saying, the words he's using are part of the brainwash of the culture. And my, my offering would be everything that he's suggesting you ask of death, you ask of life instead, that you realize that you are the active presence of love. You are not your physiology. And that the capacity to appreciate, the capacity to experience 
the capacity to remove those energetic patterns that never belonged in the human system come from life, not from death. And we can't borrow anything from death, but we can engage fully ourselves as human beings and be fully present at each moment. And that's where the life force comes from that animates this form. When we withdrew the breath, when we began to ignore ourselves as love and to function out of hostility and fear, that's when death began. And it is a creation. It is something that we consent to and create. So I'm going to go against just about everything that Michael's saying in this particular passage. And it's a great contrast because, of course, everybody's going to create their own path. But my offering is going to be go for life, stand in life, acknowledge that your life is eternal. If your physiology isn't, that doesn't change the fact that your life is eternal. But if you keep the life force alive in you, put your focus in the life force being alive, then you will animate your form. And Yeshua will have accomplished his goal of delivering life more abundantly to you. To remove the blocks as the Course in Miracles speaks about, to the awareness of love's presence. And when we are animated fully by love, and, and when we notice we're not being animated by love, that we're willing to do the inner work to remove those energetic patterns that ultimately cause death. Because we're the ones that animate the patterns. And so if you're going to animate something animate life, animate aliveness, animate joy, and forgive everything else. Forgive the very capacity to bring something other than love to an experience, even a, a tr what the world would call a tragic experience. Do you bring the the realities of, in your mind of genetic and inherited and environmentally ingrained tragedy to what the world calls tragedy, or do you bring life and conscious awareness to what the world calls tragedy? The person who brings life and conscious awareness to the tragedy is the person they end up calling the hero. That's the hero's journey. And so my invitation would be that you stand in a space of willingness to apply forgiveness to everything in you, literally every energetic vibration that compromises life that has ever entered into the minds or the hearts or the emotions of anyone in your bloodline and to be willing to face that and to undo that, to forgive that. And what we're going to see is a much, much different outcome than the one that's become standard. You know, there was a guy who, uh, he was actually driving to work one day and he heard this voice and he realized, you know, it's God calling to him. And this voice says, you know, get your, get your affairs in order. It's over. Today, you're coming back home. You're, you're finished here on earth. And the guy was just like, whoa, 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 who is this? And he says, this is God. 
He said, this is it? My last? He said, yeah. And the guy says, well, okay, okay, I can accept that. I can, I can go with that, but just let me go home and pack first. And, and, and God says, buddy, th- this isn't a journey you pack for. You're going. That's it. And the guy just kind of digs his heels. And he's like, look, I've worked so hard all my life for my wealth that if I can't take it with me, I'm not going to go. And God kind of, you know, gets into this guy's level of enthusiasm and commitment for his wealth. And he says, look, I'll tell you what, I've never done this before, but I'm going to make an exception. I'm going to allow you to go home. I'm going to allow you to dig out one suitcase and bring one suitcase, just one, of your wealth with you. Guy thinks about it for a minute. He says, I've got a big suitcase. Okay, okay. So off he goes home and uh, digs out this giant suitcase he's got. And he's all the while he's thinking about what he's going to take. You know, am I going to take the stocks and the bonds? They're going to have a stock exchange up there. And he finally decides that what he's going to do is he's going to take his gold bullion. So he fills this huge suitcase to the brim with gold, and off he goes toward the pearly gates. He gets to the gates with his suitcase, and there's Peter. And Peter says, excuse me, sir, but uh, you, know, you can't bring that suitcase in here with you. And the guy says, look, I, I had a talk with God, and God said I could bring one suitcase of my wealth. And Peter's like, look, Mac, I've been doing this job for 2,000 years. Nobody brings a suitcase. The guy said, honest to God, ask him. So Peter calls the throne room, and God answers the phone. He said, God, I got this guy here that said that, uh, that you told him he could bring a suitcase of his wealth with him. And, and God says, look, Peter, I, I did decide for this guy to make an exception, so let him in with it. Peter just rolls his eyes. It's like, oh, God. Hangs up the phone, goes to the guy, says, I don't believe it. You got permission to bring that suitcase in with you, so come on in. And, and what did you bring? The guy puts his suitcase down and proudly zips it open to display all of this gold bullion. And Peter looks at the gold in the suitcase and looks at the guy kind of quizzically and looks back at the gold in the suitcase and says, why did you bring pavement? And now I know we don't have microphones where everybody can be, you know, laughing on the show at once, but okay, Jeannie, I give. It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put your uh value on. Yeah, what do you value? It's uh the the value system of the of the culture is certainly pretty bizarre when you think about human life. So we have eight minutes. Did any of that bring anything up for anybody? Do you have a comment or a question? Press one and put your hand up. If your hand's already up from previous conversations, you got to press. Let us hear from you. So is that the complete chapter? Yes. Oh, cool. Yep, that completed that. So, one. anyone, any any thoughts about? this topic of death and living at peace and harmony with the fact that you are an eternal being 
And this work done to somebody claim in the that. chat room. Yeah, cool. So we've got about six minutes left. If you have a thought for us, let's talk about it. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our chat room or in our control panel, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, that puts a hand up in the phone queue. So if you're out there in listener land, what's on your mind? We've got about five minutes to talk about it. Push one, let's have a conversation. One again, so let me turn his microphone on. Three, one, four. You're awesome. On Let's say hello. Hey, Doug. Welcome, <laughs> here, right. man. How are hey. you? Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm okay. Yeah, well, that was. Uh, I think that was very interesting uh, contrast there. To uh, I just, it, it, I guess my experience was that. Well, right off, you went in with a good, a good a good little narration near early on about life. And then we went back into this thinking again. And uh, it was interesting just to see that contrast crystallized um, in words. And I, I, uh, so I appreciated it. I, I, it was, and I actually got kind of hard listening to that, uh, that kind of thinking after a while. And yet we so embrace it. It's so, I mean, so often we do, and um, our culture does, and whatever the outcome is, uh, I can see the point. You know, you can get some, some value out of, and uh, you know, you're going to learn something. But, but better to, uh, to learn to live. I think so. Thank you for the. I just wanted to say that, that those thoughts. I guess that's the, the contrast in, that was illustrated there was rich. Yeah, and and as you say that, you know, there are always at least two directions the mind can go, and this work is about conversion. You know, most people think of conversion as converting somebody to their religion. That's not at all what I'm thinking of. What what the conversion we're looking to share with every mind, heart, and being <laughs> on the planet is to convert their minds to love-based devices rather than fear, pessimism, and hostility-based devices. And most people, by the time they're foreign, I mean, we all come in. You know, I, I watch our granddaughter, you know, she's five and she's still in that space of connectedness and love. And, like, why would anybody allow their minds to be converted out of that but the hostility and fear of the world over time? You know, most kids, by the time they're Ari's age, are already card-carrying members of the one-world religion of blame, hostility, fear, guilt, grief, pain, drama, and trauma. And, you know, and they call it the loss of innocence, but it isn't the loss of innocence. It's a loss of life. And what we're looking to do is to get people to literally convert their minds back to love-based instruments where the conversation about love and life and aliveness becomes what's natural rather than the conversation about suffering and pain and blame and whose fault is it and why am I in trauma and all that. <laughs> the garbage that's brainwashed into us. So, yes, I'm, it's, it's I'm in agreement fun. with you. you it's fun to think about that word conversion or being converted in that way, I think. And, and, 
also one could say, well, converting the mind-body unit from this corrupted path of death to life and to the transformation required, which was exactly demonstrated only a few times, but let's have some more demonstrations. <laughs> yes, and, yeah. and we come in with it. We come in with it naturally, and we're converted to this hostility and fear game. I mean, watch how many times, even in an abusive household, the child comes back fully connected to love to their abuser over and over and over until finally their mind is converted to that hostility and fear. And then they live it out and pass it on to the next generation. It's time for us to be converted back to not a religion, but simply to a love-based mind, you know, uh, providing the proper fuel and power supply for this mind, the one it was designed for, the one it started out with for all of us. And that means, of course, there's that generational work to be done because once one starts to move through life, all of those patterns of all of the minds that have been converted to hostility and fear start to make themselves available, start to come forward. And it's a total retraining process. And, of course, the use of the tools becomes a key part of it. I've certainly noticed that that, that, that conversion process has been, a, you know, <laughs> that happened there early on. Certainly uh, more than apparent. And then the work is to fix that. So repair it, restore it. Yeah. That's it. To reclaim right. life. Again, Yeshua was really clear. One simple statement. It didn't say anything about dogma or doctrine or religion. He said, I come to bring you life. Because most people have been steeped in that hostility and fear game so deeply. And, you know, they just pass it from one generation to the next, like there's no choice about it. And we're saying there's a major choice to be made. And it's a lot more fun, too. Leading with uh, a bubble of love in one's chest, leading one's way in the world through that, rather than leading one's way in the world through some kind of negative expectation or some kind of abusive expression, that's the difference of life and death. Life and death. So, And there's only one tool I know of that consistently, persistently removes the death game, and that's forgiveness. Allah, first century Aramaic Yeshua. Not the culture's forgiveness today. Even that's been bastardized, so it's disappeared and become part of the problem but to return to the actual process of removal of what never belonged. So thank you for saying thank you, Doug. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world and uh, joining you in doing it. Blessings. <laughs>